literally all that happens is you guys just make fun of me and then the intro is just some stupid thing that makes me look so dumb we should have talked about your <laughs> sam's bed that's what we should have talked about yeah <laughs> it's yes. not like that laura <laughs> sort of it's so a little like that a little like yeah. that well maybe this intro will be different what do you mean we already did it you're listening to the cold oatmeal podcast <laughs> 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 Have you prepared what you're going to say for the, the intro, since you're part of the intro now? Well, we're doing a new oh. intro? Yes, we have to do an intro. Your Are face. you prepared? <gasps> God, no, I'm not. <laughs> no? Aww. Season three, you got to be in it. That's probably what it was, so you already did it. It's already done. <laughs> <laughs> intro over. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's Cold Oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his desk. It's it's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like one to ten. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, There's like nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and... Maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Say that! <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. My name is Matt Resch of Resch Strategies. We are a public affairs and a public relations firm in downtown Lansing, Michigan. You can find us at reschstrategies.com. All of our episodes are there. You can also find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and Instagram at Rest Strategies. This podcast, uh, as well as being on the website, also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any number of other podcast platforms. So if you like to listen there, please log on, follow us, friend us, uh, and rate us. Give us some good reviews. We'd really appreciate that. This episode, it's interesting. I'm here alone again in the uh, Cold Oatmeal Studios in the Naps building all by myself. Although it's funny because this week we are supposed to be back in the office. But because we're all having to Zoom, we came back to the office for a few hours and then we all had to go back home again to do the podcast. So I'm looking at my colleagues, Carly Buell. You were the f- first one to log in, so you were at the top of my screen. She can't mute, unmute herself because she's having tree, tree, trees chopped down outside her house. Laura Beal. Fresh off rescuing a uh, freshly delivered mattress from her front porch is with us. Laura, how you doing? I'm great. Good. Nikki O'Mara back from her dog's physical therapy with us this afternoon. Nikki, hello. Hello. Mr. Joe Beshi, minus the vacuum cleaner for now. How's it going, Joe? Good. How are you? I'm great. Your mom couldn't come over today? No, she's busy. We'll see if she pops up later. (laughs) And last but not least, our good friend, Nick DeLue. How's it going, Nick? It's going. It's going. It's going. You know, I, I enjoyed being back at the office yesterday. So it's, I, I felt like by the end of the day, I was getting reacclimated, And now we've all been banished. I, I honestly hated it. And today was better, but I felt like the first <laughs> day in like shoes with laces yeah. and pants that have zipper. Like it just didn't. It was hard. It's hard to sit there. What did your pants? What did your pants have that when you were at home? Just yeah, I've had pants? elastic pants on for three months, man. It's <laughs> uncomfortable. 
Which is funny because you're probably the only person that's eaten healthy over the last three months. Yeah. They all fit. It's just still like I'm not in – the clothes I'm in today are not the most comfortable clothes I own. That's just a, a fact. It felt really weird to put on dress socks yesterday. Yeah. So today I didn't wear any socks. Okay. <laughs> Problem fixed. <laughs> so this is going to be a fun podcast. You know, we typically have a rule on this podcast that if you ask to be a guest, you are officially banished from ever being a guest. But we're going to make the exception today. We are going to welcome back a podcast favorite of ours, someone who is giving Zach Gorchow a run for his money on the most appearances. Shana Roth is with us. Shana was with us a couple of times last season. Uh, last time she was with us for the Cold Turkey Awards about a year and a half ago. A lot has happened to Shana uh, since that time. She has taken a new job. She has had a baby. And she has written a book. And we are going to talk to Shana Roth about that book today. Shana Roth. Shana, welcome back to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Third time for you, I think. We had yes. you on once with your good buddy, Andrea Bightley. Yes. And then you joined us for the, the very popular cold turkeys. I loved the cold turkeys, yes. And now we're back again. Now Can't get back. rid of me. You have been very busy and since, since that time. You have changed jobs. Yep. You have had a baby. Yep. And you have written a book which is probably the easiest part, easiest of the three, right? The book part. <laughs> it, it did turn out to be a little bit uh, easier, yes, than, than trying to figure out, you know, with just me and my husband, how to raise a kid during a pandemic. But, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 been a, it's been a lot going on lately. <laughs> well, good. Well, before, this podcast is known to move books. So you come in here to, <laughs> to, to do that. Good for you. At we least will, six of them. Yes, we... <laughs> <laughs> We will, we will do what we can to, to pad your numbers. But before we get started, we do have a bit of a housekeeping. I don't know if you noticed, we talked to your good friend and former public radio colleague, Laura Weber Davis, on our last episode. Yes. Um, and since whoever's in charge of our Twitter polls has not been posting during the pandemic, hoping, hoping they're okay, Nikki's yeah. job of having to report on the polls has been substituted by Nikki's job of taking pictures <laughs> of all of us during the podcast on the zoom screen and the last one you know very very close and apropos to your book title here it looked like six mug shots mm -hmm. uh, and it's then a laura, skill. yeah laura looked laura, <laughs> laura davis looked the best and, and and love laura but that was not saying a lot with the pictures that was that was taken so what we're going to do here to start off nikki <laughs> you got your camera ready we are going to because everyone's going to oh, i'm screenshotting we're going to count to three and we are going to smile and then we're going to talk to shana about her book Excellent. Nick, put your mask on. Ready? <laughs> One, One, two, two. three. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Podcast so gold right there. <clears throat> Good job, everybody. Shana, your book is called Cold Cases, a true crime collection, unidentified serial killers, unsolved kidnappings, and mysterious murders. Yes, it's a very hold, creative title. I will title. hold the book up for the six of you to see. <laughs> How did you come to write this book? Yeah, it, it was a very different experience than what most people go through. Most people, they will come up with an idea themselves and then they will write a book proposal and they'll reach out to publishers or agents or things like that. And what happened with me is I was in a Facebook group, um, a, a novel writing Facebook group, 
and the press, Ulysses Press, which is who the, the publisher of the book, um, one of their editors had an idea to put together a, um, a, this sort of collection of books. And they knew of my resume sort of a little bit because I'd reached out to them in the past. And while I was actually on a cruise, remember cruises? Um, while I was on a cruise in Iceland and Ireland, I was flipping through my email um, without internet. It was just, you know, emails I had downloaded when I had internet at the port. I was flipping through them and I saw an email that said, hey, we want to put together this book. We think you'd be good to write it. Um, are you interested? And I had no way of reaching out. I had no way of, you know, Googling them and seeing like, is this a scam? Am I going to be giving them money? And this is all just like a big hoax or what is this? Um, so there was about 24 hours on board where I was just kind of losing my mind going, oh my God, am I going to get this opportunity to write a book? Is like, what is happening? What does this mean? Um, but then finally I was able to get some, some internet, um, you know, sat, talked with the publisher, emailed the editor back and was like, hey, what are you guys planning? What are you guys talking about? And, and we, it all kind of went from there fairly smoothly, actually. They had a few cases that they really wanted to include in the book. And then the rest were ones that I got to choose. And I chose kind of a combination of ones that I'd never heard of or that I thought people didn't really know a whole lot about. Um, and some of the more popular ones. So like D.B. Cooper, a lot of people know about, but maybe people don't know a whole lot about the Gardner Museum heist. Um, so yeah, so I try to make it more than just murder and have a little bit of everything in there. Very cool. So how, so you said you had, you had your ideas, they had their ideas. How did you limit it to the, how did you come to the, the number that you ended up using? Were there stories you left out that you wish you could have included? There were, um, there was, uh, a few that just seemed kind of interesting, but they had, um, a number in mind. They, they had a length in mind, um, and sort of an idea of how long they wanted each one to be. And we settled on, you know, eight to 10 cases. Um, initially it was only supposed to be, I think six or seven. Um, but they liked some of the stuff that I was sending them. So they asked me to add a few more and to make it a longer book. Um, so we settled on, on the number that we have. And yeah, and I think these were, these were ones that we both agreed were, had sort of like, not only was there a decent amount of information out there, um, but were ones that I felt I could shape and sort of add a spin on. I didn't want to just be, you know, recounting the events and saying, you know, this is what happened with the Zodiac and then this happened, this happened, this happened. I wanted to be able to provide commentary and maybe put a new perspective on these cases. Talk a little bit about that. Cause I, when I've, first was flipping through it. And before I started to read it, I'm like, okay, I've heard of most of these. How do you write about a, how do you write a book about something that has already been written about? And in some cases they've made movies about some of these cases. So how do you find that new approach? Uh, one of the first things I did was I just kind of met that head on and I wasn't afraid to just be like at several parts in the book, be like, look, I know that everybody has heard about this and there have been podcasts about it. There have been movies about it. There have been documentaries about it. And I just sort of put that out there front and center. And from there I said, you know, but let's look at it in a different perspective. So with the Zodiac, um, which everybody knows about, I wanted to look at it one, each individual uh, murder that happened, I wanted to be more sensitive to the victims than I thought people had been in the past. I wanted to kind of focus on their perspective. And there's a section that kind of talks about, you know, them as people and what were their lives before this all happened a little bit. And then another thing I wanted to do was just to kind of talk about, uh, like staying with the Zodiac, for example, uh, you know, 
using a little armchair psychology and using a little bit of my experience, what does this case actually say about, you know, maybe who, who did it? So um, the, what I kept coming back to when I was working on this Zodiac chapter was that, man, this guy is a control freak and he's a control freak to the extent that when it seemed like he was losing control, that's when he stopped um, killing people when the murders stopped. Um, and then, so for other cases, it was just kind of a matter of figuring out, you know, what are some of those things that people aren't really focusing on? Um, you know, three of the cases kind of talk about our sort of fascination with, you know, mutilated or dead white women and white girls. Um, you know, the disappearance of Natalie Holloway, the Black Dahlia, and sort of what does that say about the culture then and the culture now? So it was really about just sort of finding you know, maybe those little nuances that have been kind of talked about, but haven't really been explored in depth and kind of teasing those out as I'm talking about, you know, these are the actual bread and butter things that happened. So how did you come into doing this other than, you know, the publisher reached out, but are, are crime, you know, movies and novels and things, something that's interested you, you know, for a long time? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was a prosecuting attorney for a little while, um, and even before that, I was always interested in crime. Uh, I don't know why exactly. I mean, when I was in law school, my, my main internship was with the prosecutor's office. Um, the only thing I wanted to do as a lawyer was to be a prosecutor. Um, I've always been fascinated by it. Um, it kind of runs in my family. My sister is a <laughs> true crime reader as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just something that even when I stopped being a lawyer that I just kind of kept up with, you know, I read a lot of crime fiction. I read a lot of true crime books. I'm constantly seeing, you know, what new procedurals are out there. Um, and, and it's something I've just kind of always followed and I've always been looking to do a project that would allow me to utilize that experience and sort of blend that background that I have of being a prosecutor, but also being a journalist. And this kind of worked out really well. How, how do you walk away from that process? Is your appetite completely whetted again to go back to the courtroom? Or do you go, thank God I'm not involved in that anymore. And um, I can focus on the reporting aspect. A little bit of both. Um, you know, the most that my, my appetite gets whetted to go back to the courtroom is when I've had to cover, uh, cover the courtroom and had to go to different trials. You know, like I, I did some of the um, Nasser fallout, uh, you know, following that in court for, for public radio and for other outlets. Um, and, and, you know, actually like being in the courtroom and seeing the lawyers do their thing, that's when I'm like, oh man, I kind of miss that. But actually just writing about it and going through and seeing all the investigative work that went into all of these cases, uh, it, it makes me miss being in that sort of environment a little bit, but maybe not as a lawyer. I always like the investigative part of it more so than the, you know, having to put on a suit and stand in front of a judge and, and <laughs> make my case. Mm -hmm. Was there one of these cases that you covered in the book that really intrigues you the most or that you had the most fun researching and writing about? I think, gosh, there were, I, I knew nothing about the um, Gardner Museum heist. And I thought yeah. that one was really fascinating because, I mean, there, that's like a, there's a multi-million dollar reward to this day to find mm -hmm. these precious pieces of art. And really, people outside of Boston don't seem to know anything about it. Everybody that I asked, they had no idea that this ever happened. So that one was one of the few where I was coming into it completely brand new. So every time I, you know, found a new newspaper article or was reading through different things, I was like, oh, man, this is really neat. Like, what is happening here? Like, how did this happen? 
Um, so that was really interesting. And I, but I think the one that really I was touched by the most, and, and maybe the one that I struggled the most to write, was the chapter on um, Amber Hagerman, the, the little girl whose disappearance and murder led to the Amber Alert. Um, you know, I was writing that chapter when I was about eight months pregnant. And there were some times where I was just like, oh, God, and it was really starting to get to me. But, um, you know, I wanted to turn that into a hopeful chapter by talking about how there, despite this being a, a ma major tragedy, that there was something good that was able to come out of it and getting to speak with the woman whose idea was who, who came up with the idea for the Amber Alert uh, for the book and hearing what she had to say um, and her insight into it. Uh, was really helpful and kind of cathartic for me. How long did it take you to write this, and what was your what was your process? Like, <laughs> did you did you like sit down for a block of hours every day, or like what was how to go? Pretty close. Um, so we moved uh, during the course of writing this book. So there were times when I wasn't able to write at all for like a week. And then there were times where I was just, you know, basically coming home from work, you know, having some dinner and then I would sit down for two to three hours and just work on it or write. And then on the weekends I was spending most of my weekends writing and it really, you know, it kind of started out where it was, Oh, I'm just kind of gathering things and I'm putting stuff together. And, you know, I have this deadline out here. Um, but as it sort of got to be more and more close to when that was the final deadline is when I was really, I was really ramping it up and spending some late nights working on it. Um, but for the most part, it took a little less than a year, I think. So I would have started it in, I think, August. Yeah, I started it in about August. And then I submitted the final draft, like my first draft to the publisher uh, around February, I think. So, and then, you know, there was edits and things like that. And it actually went to the printer in May. And so it'll be out on July 14th. So like the whole process from starting to the book in hand was about a year, which was you, just kind of surprising. <laughs> did you enjoy doing that? Cause that sounds terrible to me. <laughs> I did. I did. You know, I really, I loved um, newspapers.com and getting to, and like, just like combing through all of the old newspaper articles, um, particularly for, uh, the Cleveland Torso murders, because the way that the newspapers wrote back then was so different. I had multiple editors be like, are you sure they spelled clues with a W for some reason? Um, and, and just like seeing like how different they would just, just their vernacular was, was very interesting to me. Um, so, you know, that whole process was, was interesting. I'll tell you what was the hardest part was all of these citations because I didn't really know what I was doing when I started out. And then they're like, oh yeah, no, you need to like cite all of the things that you're doing. And then we got to put together all of these endnotes and put everything in proper uh, citation format. And it was just like, that took so much time. And that was just, yeah. oh, that, that, that part I would, I would love to, to farm out next time. That was, that was <laughs> so there are 10 stories in the book, right? Mm -hmm. Did you do each one individually or did you work on them all at the same time? I mostly did them individually. Um, did you do them in the order that they appear in the book? No, no. I, I mean, little kind of close on some of them, but for the most part, no. Like I did, I was constantly sort of moving the order around as things went along, um, sort of as I started developing themes. 
Um, so initially, I knew that I wanted the Zodiac first and I wanted the Golden State Killer last. I thought those were good bookends. Um, but when I started to realize that there was a lot of interplay between the Black Dahlia, Natalie Holloway, and John Benet Ramsey, I was like, okay, those three need to go together. And then it's just a matter of what order should those go in. So I was kind of mixing it around. And like there were some, there were a few times where I was, be working on maybe two at a time but for the most part it was okay this is the chapter that we're on we're going to be you know full steam ahead on this one um and then we'll go on to the next one the next one how did you land on sorry joe how did you land on the tone of the book because it felt really conversational to me and i also enjoyed just your little um what do i want to say it's not snarky but like <laughs> attitude that you added in that was yeah. kind of like i smiled to myself how did you land on that they had said when they approached me that they were looking for something that was not dry, that was, you know, in a conversational, chatty type of tone. Okay. And so when I started writing, I just wrote it as myself in a lot of ways, maybe a little bit snarkier in some cases. But, you know, a lot of it was just kind of like inner dialogue. Like as I'm going through and reading these articles and reading what happened, I'm like, oh, geez, like, like who thought of that? Like, why would you do that? Like, especially when I was reading through the John Benet Ramsey case and all the, the, the mistakes that law enforcement made while they were going through and doing the investigation, like my inner monologue just sort of started spitting out onto the page. And in, in a couple of cases, I kind of had to pull myself back a little bit, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I was, you know, sort of all along sending chapters to, to um, my, my book manager and she was okay with it. So I figured, you know, they'll pull me back if it gets to be too much. But for the most part, it was just me, you know, saying these things how I would if I was talking to a friend or if I was doing a podcast about it or something like that. Who killed JonBenet? <laughs> oh, God. You know, I think it was, I came up with so many theories for all of these. Um, I was convinced at one point, I'm like, I'm going to solve at least one of these, right? Like, this is, this is going to happen. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get that. Don't ruin it, Shana. Don't That'd ruin it. People don't know this yet. Know. Buy the book yeah. on July 14th, <laughs> and you will find out if Shana solved one of the 10 mysteries. <laughs> there are a ton of theories throughout. I think some of them are definitely theories that people hadn't thought about. And some of them are a little crazy, like um, that Katy Perry is actually John Bonet Ramsey was an interesting one that yeah. I came across. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely each one really kind of looks at all the, a lot of the, not all of them because there's so many out there, but a bunch of the different theories associated with each case. With John Bonet Ramsey, I mean, I don't want to get, you know, legally in trouble or anything, but I, I, I think it was somebody that she knew, but maybe not somebody that has been a sort of uh, main suspect is my theory. Mm -hmm. a semi-inside job interesting well i've always been fascinated by db cooper and i i skipped ahead because i i wanted to know if you figured that one out <laughs> um and that that, really that one right. that one was comical because of all the copycats afterwards and the way that you yeah. just painted it all like he just walked onto a plane with a bag full of it may have been a bomb it may may it may not have been a bomb and then other guys just started picking jumping on planes and demanding that they land and be given money yeah, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, maybe we should do some some sort of security before we let people just sort of fly in the air. You know, who, who would have thought about it? And particularly when you think about that versus what we have now, which is so different. Like, I think a lot of people can't even imagine just, you know, 
showing up at an airport, giving us somebody some cash and then getting on a plane. But that's how easy it was back then. That was a fun chapter. I liked that one. So the easy part's over. You got the book written. Oh, nice mug. That was awesome. The cold oatmeal mug. Absolutely. Cameo appearance. I should have taken a screenshot of that. Well done. Dang it. I need to retake it anyway because Joe's hand was in front of his face, just so you know. (laughs) Looks terrible. Everybody else looks great. We'll use that. So now that the book is written, now you have to sell it. Yeah. Right? So what's that process like? That is is tricky, right? Because there's a pandemic. There's a lot of protesting going on. There's, you know, it's a very crazy time, for lack of a better word at the moment, to be doing much of anything, let alone trying to sort of be like, hey, I have this book out, please buy my book. You know, a lot of people have lost their jobs. Um, you know, they're, they're just trying to figure something out. And here's my, you know, book of interesting cases. So promoting it, I've been trying to fight, figure out, okay, what are some interesting ways to do that without coming across as, as tone deaf? And that's sort of been my, my biggest concern. So it's, it's really been a, about picking and choosing when, let's say, I post something about it on social media. Um, and then it's also just been getting creative. You know, I can't go on a book tour. I mean, I, 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 I guess I could on some level, but like the bookstores are really not doing events right now. They're, everything is, has gone remote and has gone via Zoom and other things. So I've been reaching out to different bookstores um, and different libraries and being like, hey, let's, let's try and do something a little bit innovative here. Can we come up with some sort of event that we could do virtually? Can we do like a big Zoom meeting and then just send people copies? Um, I've also been reaching out to different podcasts and different other, uh, you know, places that are still accessible to people and saying, hey, let's talk about the book, but let's also, you know, talk about different cold cases in your area and make it, you know, more interesting than just, hey, I'm here to schlep a book. Um, But yeah, but it's definitely been a really tricky uh, way of finding a balance there for sure. And it's something I, I definitely have not perfected. And it's something that I'm working with the, the publisher on because, you know, they have their way of marketing and a lot of marketing for this sort of thing, because it's such a small publisher, it really falls on me. So it's, it's been definitely a very interesting process to say the least, but you know, if everybody's home, you got to read a book and these are some really interesting cases that, I think that if you, you know, want to just sit outside for a little while and, you know, get some fresh air and and read about some interesting cases, this is definitely a book for that. Well, it goes on sale July 14th, right? That's when people can actually get it delivered. You can buy it now though. So spend your money now and buy it now. You'll you'll get it in the mail. You can order it on Amazon, on uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, Target, and also IndieBound. Um, So yeah, so do that. Laura, you had a question? I was going to say, I feel like your follow-up book needs to be Cold Cases in Michigan, because we were talking about this as a group this morning, about big cases that we remember. Some of them we realized have been solved, and others maybe are cold cases. So we feel like you need to do your Michigan one next. Absolutely. And there's a lot of really, really interesting ones out there. There were a couple that I had considered um, putting in the book, but just wasn't sure because they weren't widely known if I would be able to get enough information about them. But there was actually one in your guys's neck of the woods at Okemos that when I was in, uh, when I was getting my master's, one of my projects was to, to dig into it. It was about a, the wife of a doctor who was found dead in her home. 
and they never figured out who did it. Judge Aquilina, who a lot of people know from the Larry Nassar case, she was involved in the preliminary exam. It was like a huge thing in the area at the time. So that one has definitely been one that I've been kind of circling around for a while. Mm-hmm. There's a story, and I'm sure you know this story, because <clears throat> it, it, it's also a book. It's what is it, it's called? Is it called Terror Comes to Good Heart or the, the Murder of the Family in Good Heart, Michigan? I think I've heard of that one, yeah. That I, I spent a, a weekend at a friend's cottage in Goodhart, and they had a copy of this book on the on their on their uh, coffee table, and so I started flipping through it, which was a mistake because it's a horrifying story. It's this a family of five from I think the '60s, an advertising exec from Detroit. They're in a little. They're in their cottage up there, like a mile from where this cottage was, and someone breaks in and shoots all five of them. And they, they're in the, they're there for 27 days before anyone discovers them and they still haven't figured out who did it. Um, but there's a fascinating book that was written. It's, I think it's called murder comes to good heart. And it's a, it's a great, a great story. I like that one. She, she's so, taking notes, Matt. She's going to, right. I just, I, I could be here. I could, I got the ideas. <clears throat> Laura, Laura had an idea for your, for your follow-up, but if we kept riffing, we could probably, you could do like a whole series. I know you, you could, guys could give me all my next books. You could seriously, you could do cold cases, Michigan, cold cases, Ohio, or you get into the, the torso slashings or whatever they were there you called. Go. You could get into cold, cases, cold cases, in cases, Indiana. Right. Exactly. Go. One for are all you, 50 states. Are you going to write another book? I would love to. That's definitely something that when things calm down a little bit, I plan to be working on whether it'll be I've, I've written um started a few books that are fiction um and i have one that i've been editing for a little while here so it just depends on kind of what what the cards and what the future says and i'm if the publisher wants to work with me again i would love to work with them again for something similar to this but i would also like to work on fiction as well in the same the same area crime, crime oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's my thing Cool. Well, best of luck to you. It was great to see you again. Congratulations you, on the on the little baby and on the Thank book. Thank you. Uh, Shana Roth has been with us uh, again. July fourteenth is the magic day, but don't wait. Listen, listen now. Leave here. Listen. Well, listen to the end of the podcast. Then go to <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, or IndieBound, and you can buy Shana's book. Find it. You can uh, search under her name. Cold Cases is the name of the book. Thanks for being with us. Thank you guys so much. It was great to see you all. Take care. Thank you. So we are back in the office, kind of, which I guess kind of means this whole thing is over, at least for the time being. How's it been? It's been three months since I've seen any of you. More or less. I've been enjoying it. More or less. Yeah. You've been enjoying what? Being in the office or being at home? Yeah, I didn't understand your question. How's what been? How's how's life been for the last three months? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. Fine. Weird anxiety riddled it's it's been so weird so different where you're just stuck in your house and you can't go and do the things you normally do 
and you know, loyal listeners of this podcast and, and friends and family know I'm a big sports guy there. And that's sort of my outlet. And there's been none of that. Um, clients have been busier than ever because it's a, it's a, a time where, which you know, necessitates lots of activity right now um, for a lot mm-hmm. of our clients. And yeah. I, I found it, I was mentioning to, to folks yesterday, I, I found it refreshing to come into the office. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to start at this time. Um, I can't be working at this time because I've got to be in the car. And then when I leave, I've got to go do something else. And so I'll be able to turn the computer off. It's been nice. So I, I'm, I'm ready for that. Me too. Me too. It's nice to see you guys, not just on a computer screen. I mean, most of you, you know, Joe's still grumpy, but everybody else. (laughs) I agree with you there. Is in my survey of all of you to ask about coming back to the office. Joe was the one who was most interested in coming back. Is that true? <laughs> yes, and in a heartfelt way, said, "I miss hanging out with you guys." Oh, which would have never been evidenced for a second of time on that's any Zoom true. call for the last mm, three no, months. That's not true. <laughs> Such emotion side. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> what do the rest of them say? No, I don't want to come back, and then you force us all back. No, everyone wanted <laughs> to come back. Everybody wanted to come back a little bit. But, a little bit. Yeah, not totally. Yeah, just for yeah, we, we know Nikki. We know. <laughs> Although I am extremely tired of Zoom, so. Lots of dog physical therapy appointments on the books. Yep. Only three more, so. Well, we have to come up with something else. Yeah, well. (laughs) Yeah. We are back. It is summer. We're probably wrapping up the podcast here. We got to wrap up season three. Um, We'll see what that looks like. But Shana has been with us today to talk about her book. Her book She's great. Is, yeah. yeah. Always good to see her. Mm-hmm. Cold Cases, the true crime collection, unidentified serial killers, unsolved mysteries, oops, unsolved kidnappings, and mysterious murders. Um, order it now. You can get it on Amazon, and it'll be delivered to you uh, July 14th. I think that's it. We got anything else, guys? No. Nope. Lots that's of shaking their heads. Lots of shaking. Okay. It's been the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>